Every question you're going to ask me is going to get the lawyer's response. It depends. L literally every single question is always a, it depends because it totally depends. It depends on how prepared you want to be, what type of person you are. Um, so what I'm going to say is don't wait until you've already agreed on the contract terms. And hey, I just want to get you to look over it to tell me whether or not it's okay. Hello, and welcome to the Final Mile Club podcast, or as we're calling it, FM Radio. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Beijung, and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University. And I am joined today by a very special and very funny uh, guest, Emmanuel Evdemon. Am I saying that even close to correctly? I said it better before, didn't I? That was pretty good. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I, well, I think we'll go with that one. He's being very generous to me. Um, Emmanuel is an extraordinary individual. Uh, he is a lawyer whose legal practice spans across the entertainment industry and has touched many different kinds of media. He began in television and film. He's worked in events, in music, representing musicians, sound editing, management labels, music video production, commercial production, in video games and interactive digital properties, looking at licensing, publishing, service agreements, as well as in all kinds of cross-platform initiatives. As I've been reading and learning more about your work, Emmanuel, one of the things I've been really struck is how many places the law is in environment, uh, environment in entertainment industries, um, and in ways that I think many of us are completely unaware of. Certainly, as consumers of entertainment and media, but but also I think as creators and and creatives of all of all kinds. So, before before anything else, can I just ask you to to say a little bit about? Uh, what what does a lawyer like you do, and why should we care about it? Oh my! Um, consider it like like a doctor before you go on a trip. When you go on a trip, we go to the doctor to find out. Okay, what what are what are, what's out there in that country that I'm going to visit or that place I'm going to visit, and uh, what do I need to know? How can I protect myself? And 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 the the lawyer comes in and says. Okay, so here are the risks associated with what you want to do. And your choice then becomes, what of those risks do I want to take? Uh, and what do I want to protect again? So we can just, we can identify what the risks are. And we can identify what sometimes potential uh, opportunities are and just give you a full understanding. So for example, you sold a painting. You've given that person the painting. There's a whole myriad of other rights called copyright that go along with that painting. And you haven't given them that. You've given them the physical painting. They can hang that painting in their house and they can give that painting their friends. They can cuddle that painting. They can destroy the painting if they want to. But what they can't do is they can't turn around and sell photographs of the painting because you did not give them the reproduction right. They cannot put that allow that painting to be used in a film or television, video game. They can't make an NFT of that painting. 
because that right has to be specifically given as well. And that's what the interesting thing about it being intangible. And so that's like one of those big words that you need to remember when you're thinking about copyright, that it's intangible and it's not just that one fixed thing. Like I have this one item. It, it can be split apart into an infinite amount of pieces because you deal with territory, you deal with term, you deal with uh, exclusivity. So just gonna stop that list there because it's endless. That's super interesting thinking about about rights associated with arts as being this kind of infinite and almost yeah and in, 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 in any number any number of, of directions um, so if if I'm a young artist thinking about my rights copyright property rights all of this kind of mm -hmm. stuff um, you know I think you've done a really good job of explaining why why we need a lawyer how do I find a lawyer and what and to seek advice and at what at what stage should I be looking for a lawyer or legal advice every every question you're gonna ask me is gonna get the lawyer's response it depends and like literally every single question is always a, it depends because it totally depends it depends on your situation it depends on you know how prepared you want to be what type of person you are um, so what I'm gonna say is don't wait until you've already agreed on the contract terms. And hey, I just want to get you to look over it to tell me whether or not it's okay. No, get involved beforehand. Not when you've decided to work with this one person. When you're thinking about working with a bunch of people, get involved then. Because otherwise, what ends up happening is the, the, the worst possible thing, which is your confidence gets blown because you you're remember you're, you're you're talking about the the other side as someone who wants something from you as the artist they want your work and you have to remember like there is a whole ton of artists out there that do very similar the same things that you guys do but they want you because you're awesome and you're special and that's why they've chosen you over thousands of other people thousands of other artists, thousands of other providers. It's you they want. You have to remember that. So don't let it get to us. And, 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 and often what ends up happening is that that organization or, you know, the, the other side is going to sit there and I want you to think that I'm doing you a favor. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. They've chosen you over everybody else. You got to remember that. Um, so, so don't let it get to a point where it's like, oh, well, this is my only choice. So as soon as you're starting to think about working with other people, have a meeting. Um, lawyers aren't all scary. And, um, you know, some of us have bigger hair than others. <laughs> some of us have bigger eyes than others. Some of us have bigger ears than others. Um, I have very small ears. Um, <laughs> you know, take that as you will. But, uh, but try and meet with lawyers, um, find out if they have, uh, you know, call them up, reach out to them. Um, there's, uh, there's also a, um, lawyer referral service that you can use through the law society of Ontario and, um, the LRS through LSO. Haha. <laughs> you can, you can get, um, uh, lawyers that will, you ask for the specific type of lawyer you want and you will get uh, a list of lawyers that you can, uh, call up and, and talk to for free for 30 minutes. It's important you get a lawyer that works in your field, and then you also need to get a lawyer that you communicate well with. If you're spending hundreds of dollars an hour, you want a lawyer 
that can communicate effectively with you. If you go on LinkedIn and you look up the lawyers, then you can find out also if any of those lawyers know any of your connections and your friends. And so you can then reach out to your friends and be like, yo, hey, so uh, I saw you connected to this lawyer. Is that just like one of those rando, okay, yes, I'll connect with you because I want to get to that 500 plus connections thing? Or is that I actually know that person and can tell you something about them? And when you get that, I know that person, then you absolutely, hundo P, I'm in. Then you can reach out to them and see like, okay, now I have a good reference. And so I will take the LinkedIn thing over a Google search any day over a whole bunch of other ones um, mm. because, it, because it does give you that indirect uh, connection, that indirect personal con connection rather than just, uh, you know, an advertisement or what have you. Uh, also industry organizations or your university, your school, alumni associations, stuff like that, you can also ask as well. Those are all really great and, and yet another reason to join the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn and start building those connections, not just, not always just in the way that you think, but in the way that they can lead you to friends of friends or connections mm -hmm. of connections so that you can start to get and build some more information to, to make better decisions around uh, I would imagine all kinds of professional services, but certainly legal legal advice among them. One of the things that, that I'm aware of that's become a real conversation over the past five or 10 years is the, the joke, artist dies of exposure. The idea that people should be willing to contribute their labor, their energy, their creativity, just for the opportunity to be seen and and sometimes not asking enough about oh well well who is making money in this gig and and why am i not being why am i only being paid with attention and how much attention is worth it to me and those kinds of things what are some of the pitfalls or the challenges that you've seen in the past that to be aware of as you're thinking through some of these questions i think it's important to 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 recognize that you know, yes, you have that value and you don't give it away. Um, a really great example is uh, is the music industry. Cross-collateralization, that's a dangerous, dangerous word. What that means is that you can use expenses from one thing to apply against uh, revenue from another thing. So it's like, if I'm going to fund this and, or I'm going to give you an advance, but I want to get that advance back through revenue, I want you to take that money from what we invested in. I don't want you to turn around in three projects from now or merchandise that you decide to make through one of your subsidiary companies so that money actually just went back into your own pocket. And then you're trying to recover that, not from the sale of the merchandise, which was crap anyway, but from the actual project, which was amazing and got all this attention. And so you're trying to take more money out of my pocket by recouping at that point. Um, so so whenever you see net 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 revenue net profit net anything that means there was a calculation that you had gross which is like what the consumer pays for something typically and then you have net which is after things have been deducted so when they say yeah you'll get a get a you'll get a portion of net revenue great what is that net revenue 
I want to know exactly how you're calculating that revenue. I want to know exactly what comes out of that net revenue or in that what comes out of that gross revenue to, to, to make it into net revenue. I want to make sure that those are frequently out-of-pocket expenses. So it's not you giving it to an, uh, an affiliate company. It's not you giving it to your other division, your parent company. It's you actually spending that somewhere. It's not you turning around and saying, well, our marketing department worked on this and uh, we bailed them out at $150 an hour. It's like, uh-huh, you're paying their salary anyway. Don't tell me that I need to pay their salary. So that's not flying. It has to be external costs a lot of the time. Like, I'm not saying that every single time it has to be that, but that's that's frequently what we're looking at. And, and, and you should be aware of that. Um, what other expenses? Okay. Are we, are we going to, are we going to, uh, I think someone mentioned, okay, what about transportation? What about, you know, going to and from, it's very frequent that it, as the creator, the, 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 the vendor, the publisher, the distributor, they're going to want you to come and do shows. They're going to want you to come and speak and be interviewed and things like that. Okay. That's great. We love that. Who's paying me to do that? Am I getting money because I'm an awesome actor and we've been in this field and it's been established for long enough that I can now put into my contract that, yes, not only am I getting paid this rate, minimum of X amount of hours, but this rate to come and show and do a promotional gig, but you're also paying for first-class transportation uh, between my house and the airport, first-class transportation between the airport and the venue, first-class transportation between the venue and the hotel, and first-class accommodations. Y you get into all that stuff. Like, it can go right fine down nitty-gritty details. For a lot of creatives, much of what we're being compensated for is our time. Thinking about, again, I'm young, I'm starting out, I'm, not, I'm probably not at a point where I can insist that somebody pay me in, to go first class all the way from my home to my venue and all of that, how, how can I start to value my time? And how, how should emerging creatives start looking at that in terms of weighing the question of time, opportunity? There are some advantages to, to finding exposure opportunities that may not be compensated Mm -hmm. in the same way that that your time might be compensated in an office job but but may lead to other kinds of work how should people start thinking about some of those trade-offs however you want to there's 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 a whole bunch of different ways it's like remember you can cut anything into a million different pieces so yeah it doesn't have to be first class transportation it doesn't have to be all that transportation maybe you're saying you know what i love this i'm gonna get there on my own but you're going to pay me this much to do there, or you're just going to pay my damn meals, or you're just going to pay my transportation and my meals, and you won't have to pay me extra a daily rate to be there. Or, hey, maybe I just want the right to refuse it and say, now, you know what? I don't want to do that one. It's going to cost me too much. It's not going to be whatever. So maybe it's just subject to agreement between the two parties. And at that point, you can turn around and negotiate again and say, hey, you want me to do this? How bad do you want me to do this? I recognize it'll be good for me, but it's also good for you. And you're making a ton of money off this. I haven't seen it yet. 
or mm-hmm. I need to justify it. So tell me how, how you're going to make it worth my while to do this in addition to the exposure alone, because the exposure alone is great. I want to do it, but it's not worth me getting a ticket to LA, finding accommodations in LA. Oh, guess what? I have a friend who lives in LA. I'm not going to tell them that right off the bat, but I'm going to say, yes, you know what? Let's get a, let's, let's, let's talk about how I'm going to actually get there and stay there and be able to be there and make it worth my while. And, 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 you know, that's fine. So, so what we covered there was a few Mm -hmm. different levels. Mm -hmm. Like one is just, Hey, let's, we'll just, we'll deal with that later. We'll negotiate that as long as we both agree. And then there's all this like acting reasonably and stuff that will go in there. But as long as we both agree, and then you can up that to, yeah, you're going to pay for the transportation. We're not going to necessarily say it's all first class transportation because like, who are we kidding here? Who really actually try travels first class anyway, anymore like that plane ticket to Europe is like $12,000 or something instead of 700. Like, come on now. Um, and, uh, so you can work it out. Um, and, and what you were saying is, yeah, value your time, especially at the beginning, but once you get big enough, then it isn't about your time anymore because it doesn't matter if it took you two seconds or two months to make that piece. It's got your little signature on it. It's got your stamp. It's got your unique touch to it. It's got your flavor. That's when we turn around. No, that's, uh, that's a, that's a very good point. So there's almost a shift where we move from valuing time to valuing, for lack of a better word, brand and, and how that, that evolves. I I think that's really interesting. And, And just to pull out a couple of key ideas there, the, the idea that, that rights of refusal or I think the phrase you used was subject to agreement can be built into contracts that will allow someone the opportunity to revisit and rethink. That seems like it would also be a useful technique if you're expecting that things might potentially change or that your circumstances might might change in in the interim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can be used for so many things, too. Like, it doesn't have to be a, uh, you know, the term of the contract, for instance. <clears throat> they may want it to be however long for five years. You may say, well, look, you know what? No, let's, let's, let's do it for one year and it will automatically renew if I'm making money off of it. If the residuals that I'm getting off of the sale of my soundtrack or the licensing of my, my, my work is generating at least this much money into my pocket, and it doesn't have to be, by the way, it doesn't have to be from necessarily the sales. As long as I'm getting this much money, then you'll get it for another year. And if it doesn't generate this much money, so they can actually just fork over the money. And you, as 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 the as the as the uh, as as the creator, often want that. Want them to be able to bolster that amount because they want to keep it going. Great get that minimum threshold and then it will automatically renew. And if it doesn't hit that minimal threshold, it doesn't mean the deal's dead. It doesn't mean that they, that the whole relationship stops. It means that it's not an automatic renewal. So you can turn around and say, you know what? I'm happy with you guys. I get it. It's, it's a, it's a slow patch. You know, this type of work isn't super hot right now, but we both have confidence that it will get hot again. So, you know what, as the next, you know, my next piece comes out, whatever, 
let's keep running with it. We don't have to hit that threshold or we renegotiate to a lower threshold or whatever it is. We'll keep it going. We can always negotiate that. The way that you're breaking it down makes it less of a binary. It's either a commitment or it's not a commitment. You say yes or you say yeah. no to a, a series of, of mm -hmm. subtle gradations where you might say mm -hmm. yes if this, you might create, I can see where the it depends is starting to come in, right? Because you can you can yeah. do that on the on the creative side. You can start to think about how to nuance some of these agreements and some of these relationships in ways that are, are gonna be really bene beneficial yeah. to you. Our, our next question comes from, from Nicole. Uh, I'm just mm -hmm. gonna read it out. I often take on projects as a freelancer and I write up a contract or brief of what is required of me, the timeline, quote, et cetera. Do you suggest that I always get this contract signed by the client? Or is it enough to have written approval in an email thread of the approved contract? We have so many digital signature tools now, there's really no reason not to. You know, you don't want to have to sit there and, you know, dig through emails to say, oh, yeah, I did get it. Just just get it. You know, it's it's you know, it's 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 fairly e it's it's easy enough now. You know, you can you can sign something on your bloody phone now. So like. There's really limited reason not to, um, you know, it doesn't have to be DocuSign. Like, you know, or you can, if you're old school, you can print it out, sign it and send me a photograph of the signature page. Um, you know, initial all the pages, send me a photograph of all the pages initialed on the signature page. Great. That's even better. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, a next question comes, would you suggest that artists register copyright at all times? It's fifty bucks, <laughs> so let's 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 not kid ourselves. Um, big difference when you're registering copyright in Canada. You describe the work and you copyright the work as the work. In the U.S., they take a copy of the work, so you'll send them a copy of the work, so they actually have a copy of the work. So if there's ever any question, that's actually kind of interesting and a very different, unique uh, aspect. And uh, I believe it was only about fifty bucks in the states too. Um, and oddly enough, last time I spoke with the uh, Copyright Bureau in the States, they were super helpful and super friendly. So give them a call and talk to them and get them to help you do it. Um, copyright, it, um, so what registering copyright does is a, it's, it's kind of fascinating. It, it basically, when you think about copyright, you've got copy and you've got a right. So I've got rights and you've copied it. Mm -hmm. So I made this piece of work you copied it. What that requires is that you had access to it. You saw it, you felt it, you heard it, you, you had access to that work. If you created something identical, but never had access to mine, you didn't copy it. So we have to remember, okay, when we're claiming a copyright, we have to demonstrate that you had access to it. But by registering copyright, we're turning around and saying, hey, everybody has access to it in Canada or everybody has access to it in the United States. Prove you didn't, which they may be able to do and it may not be a copyright infringement even though it's identical, but it shifts it. So it shifts the burden as they, we, we, we call it, that you have to prove you didn't rather than us proving that you did have access to it. Um, so 
a lot of those NDAs, a lot of those times when you're submitting something to someone for consideration, you're trying to protect yourself from them copying what you've done. And uh, this is, and, and, and what you're really doing so much of the time is creating a chain of custody saying you had access to my work. So if you turn around and, uh, and release something that's exactly like mine, I can turn around and say, hey, remember that thing you did? Remember that time I sent you this and you acknowledged receiving that? Tell me you didn't copy it. I think that's that's the shifting of the burden of proof is is seems like the really critical shift mm -hmm. there. And you you mentioned NDA, and so I just wanted to make sure I understand a non disclosure agreement. Is that correct? Yeah, it's 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 you can't talk about it. You can't release what we've had to the public. So you're protecting our discussion. You're protecting the work that I'm sharing with you that I own, and I don't want everybody to see it because it hasn't been finalized yet, and I don't want someone to get uh, inspired by it um, and create something that's, you know, substantially similar. Um, so one other thing about copyright, it, it protects your expression of an idea, not an idea. So that does have to be clear that the fact that you had an idea in your brain and in your mind and you're like, oh, I conceived of this whole thing in my mind, there's no protection on that because it's in your mind mm -hmm. and no one can copy it because they can't access your mind yet. Yet, I liked, I liked the yet in that, in that sentence. They can't access your mind yet. There's, there's a joint authorship, and, and this is something that everyone who works with uh, copyright has to be very, very, very conscious of. Anyone who helps create a work, unless there is a, a, a chain where they are giving their copyright to someone else, then it becomes a joint authorship work. Even if it's an unequal and there's a very small level of contribution, joint authorship is something very, very dangerous because it means that unless both authors agree to something, no one can exploit the whole. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating, fascinating stuff. I, you know, if someone had told me talking about entertainment law and it would be a fascinating free-flowing and really fun conversation. I, I might have had questions for you, but Emmanuel, this has been an absolute delight. Just for your kind of final thoughts as you're talking to a group of people, getting ready in, in the next year or maybe the next few months to really transition from university life to the start of their professional lives, what are, what are some of the, the high-level or key takeaways you want them to remember about their work as artists and creators and, and the law and, and folks like you. And Number one, confidence for sure is at the top. Always, always, always stay confident in what you're doing. Uh, this is an adventure. Adventures have a hell of a lot of ups and downs. Embrace them. Keep it going. Enjoy that adventure. There's ups and downs. Fail. 100% fail. Fail at doing shit because it's okay. You learn really, really, really well from screwing up. Go through that process. Find out how you screwed up and know that you're going to learn and not make that mistake again. Or even if you make it again, you won't make it the third time. Learn from your mistakes. It's super, super, super important. Um, uh, and then the last one is delegate. Hmm. So know what you do really well know what you don't do really well and find others who can help you.
So you may not know the law, get a lawyer to help you with the law. You may be great at the business side of things. You may not get someone to help you with the business side of things if you aren't great at it. Delegate when you need to and recognize that. So th those are those are the uh, those would be, I guess, my 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 big takeaways. Look at your community to to help you make those decisions and um, and, and 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 reach out to your community for advice. And remember, the people who are friends of yours, like true friends are invested in your success. Emmanuel, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight and I really appreciate all your time, attention, care, passion, enthusiasm, and, and really such great knowledge. So thank you so much and, and thank you to everybody else who's so instrumental in making the Final Mile podcast possible. And so thanks again too for everyone who's been visiting us today and this recording will be out uh, shortly, so you can access it in its entirety through the York University community, but a, a condensed podcast will be available publicly, and so you can check back in, in, on all of these and others. And, and don't forget the resources that, that Emmanuel shared with us earlier. Those will be post posted on the AMPD Final Mile LinkedIn group and available elsewhere as well. So thank you all again, and Emmanuel, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Pleasure is mine, Sarah. And uh, good luck out there to everyone. You've been listening to the Final Mile Club Radio, a production of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University, with generous support from Jennifer Ivy Vanek and members of the Dean's Advisory Committee. You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca, and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening, and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.